0: Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Coming up on our program tonight, the Prime Minister establishes a new Cabinet Committee to oversee Canada's response to the COVID-19 outbreak Coming up, we'll hear at length from Canada's Deputy Prime Minister, Health Minister, and Canada's Chief Public Health Officer on the efforts to deal with the outbreak. On a day when the Bank of Canada cuts its key interest rate by half a point to help offset the negative shock to the economy from COVID-19, we'll take a closer look at the rate cut and what effect it could have. And Alberta NDP leader Rachel Notley, the former premier, joins me to discuss Alberta anger, resource development and climate change, and the state of national unity. But we'll begin tonight with a new high-powered cabinet committee chaired by the Deputy Prime Minister, Christian Freeland, to oversee the response by the federal government to the outbreak of COVID-19. Canada now has 33 cases of the novel coronavirus after two new confirmed cases in Ontario and four in British Columbia. The Prime Minister announced the creation of the committee today to prevent and limit any spread of the virus in Canada.
1: Uh, we continue uh, to monitor very closely and coordinate with our provincial partners, with the international community, uh, the best things that Canada can do uh, to keep Canadians safe and to uh, prevent further spread of this virus. Uh, we recognize uh, that basing our decisions on evidence, on facts, uh, on the best uh, uh, best science available is going to be extremely important for keeping Canadians safe. Uh, and we've created a cabinet committee uh, that we'll have as a regular task Uh, to coordinate Canada's response to ensure that Canadians are getting the best information
0: and uh, make sure that we're watching carefully on the economic impacts of this virus on top of the uh, health impacts on Canadians. The new cabinet committee overseeing the COVID-19 outbreak is chaired by the Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland, and includes the Minister of Health Patty Haidu, Minister of Public Safety Bill Blair and the Finance Minister Bill Marneau, among others. It held its first meeting today to discuss measures to deal with the virus and possible impacts on the economy. Uh, following that meeting the Deputy Prime Minister, the Minister of Health and senior officials from Canada's health agency with reporters here in Ottawa as we like to do we'd like to show you as much as we can of these news conferences uh, on a major issue of public interest we're going to do that tonight here is that news conference
2: over the last several days we've seen an increase of cases in Canada and the outbreak of COVID-19 as the coronavirus is formally named is evolving rapidly across the world and we've been continuing our work as you know to contain and delay the spread of this virus in Canada since January, my provincial and territorial counterparts and I have been working closely with local health, public, uh, local health officials to prepare for the potential of any community outbreak. And our discussions and work has focused on ensuring that our self- surveillance systems are detecting cases and our health systems are prepared for an increased activity. This morning I also spoke with Secretary Azar, my health counterpart in the United States. Our government continues to focus on protecting the health of Canadians by working closely with provincial and territorial partners, Canadian organizations, the research community, as well as global partners and organizations. In early January, our government commenced scenario planning to help us assess the impact of the continued coronavirus outbreak on Canada. And our officials have been working on these plans to give our government options as the situation evolves. We have already seen global economic and supply chain disruption and it's important that Canada be prepared for the effects of this new virus beyond those of health. The Prime Minister announced this morning a special committee of ministers that will allow us to use the information we've been working on and make quick decisions as situations arise that that relate to the global and domestic impact of the coronavirus. This special committee will support our ability to rapidly respond to a very fluid situation. This committee is étape step plus in the response to Canada to the virus. It will permettra us to face the impact of the virus sur la santé of gens, but also on the economy. I will now turn to Minister Freeland to give an update on the first uh, committee meeting.
3: Okay. okay. Uh, well, thank you very much, Minister Haidu, Patty. Uh, bonjour, tout le monde. The uh, committee sur le virus COVID 19 has taken its first meeting today. Il a pour mandat de veiller à ce que le Canada soit prêt à toute éventualité, et nous le sommes. Il s'agit d'un effort à la fois d'ensemble du gouvernement et de l'ensemble du pays. Nous prenons très sérieux l'éclosion du COVID-19. Cette situation évolue rapidement, de jour en jour. So today we had our first meeting of the cabinet committee on the federal response to the coronavirus disease known as COVID-19. The job of this committee is to ensure that Canada is ready and prepared for all eventualities, and we are. This is a whole of government and indeed a whole of country effort. We take the COVID-19 outbreak very seriously And we are very aware that this is a situation, as Minister Haidu has just explained, which is evolving rapidly day by day and indeed hour by hour. Our first priority is to keep Canadians safe. That is what we will do. I'd like to stress three further points that should give Canadians confidence. First, we have one of the best health care systems in the world, and we have among the best healthcare professionals in the world. I am very confident in our ability as a country to deal with this. And I would really like to thank and recognize the exceptional leadership of my colleague and friend, uh, our Minister of Health, Patty Hajdu and of course our chief public health office officer Dr Teresa Tam they have been as minister Haidu has just said working very very intensely on this situation for months they have been keeping the entire government starting with the prime minister and the provinces extremely well informed and i must say their predictions of where things would be would be going have proven to be very very accurate Deuxièmement, le gouvernement du Canada suit de près l'incidence économique du coronavirus, tant au niveau national qu'international. Hier, à la suite d'une téléconférence entre les ministres des Finances du G7 et les banquiers centraux, les pays du G7 ont indiqué dans une déclaration que nous sommes prêts à mettre en place les mesures fiscales nécessaires. Secondly, the government of Canada is very closely monitoring the economic impact of coronavirus, both domestically and internationally. As Canada and our G7 partners said yesterday in a statement following a call between G7 finance ministers, including, of course, Minister Morneau and central bankers, we are monitoring the outbreak, and we remain ready to deploy fiscal measures as appropriate. As Minister Morneau has said, Canada's fiscal position is strong, which means we as a country are very well positioned to face big challenges. Thirdly, Canadians have a long history of coming together as a country to confront big and serious challenges whatever they may be. That is who we are, and that is what we do. That is what we have been doing when it comes to coronavirus, and that is what we will continue to do when it comes to addressing the challenge as it evolves. I'd like to close by assuring Canadians that this response will be a national response. We have been working very closely with our provincial and territorial colleagues and we will continue to do so, and we are united in our commitment to keep Canadians safe. I've been working closely directly with the Premiers for weeks. My colleague, Minister Haidu, has been working very closely with provincial ministers of health, and the Prime Minister and I are looking forward to meeting with the Premiers in Ottawa next week, when this
4: issue, of course, will be on the agenda. Merci beaucoup. Dr. Tan. Good afternoon, everyone. I'll begin with an update on cases reported in Canada. As of right now, we have 33 Three confirmed cases of COVID-19 reported at the national level, 20 in Ontario, 12 in British Columbia, and one in Quebec. All cases are related to or close contacts of travelers that visited China, Iran, and Egypt. However, please remember that the situation is evolving rapidly as health authorities in the provinces and territories continue to investigate and test individuals. So these numbers are subjected to change on a regular basis. <clears throat> Globally, the situation is evolving rapidly, with approximately 80 countries reporting cases. And the message from the World Health Organization is that the actions countries take today will be make the difference between a handful of cases and larger clusters. At this time, there is no evidence of community spread of the virus in Canada, with all cases directly or indirectly linked to travel. Even so, while our focus continues to be on containment to delay the onset of community spread, we are fully engaged in preparedness across the health system. The Public Health Agency of Canada continues to work very closely with provinces and territories to ensure a consistent and collaborative approach that is based on the best available evidence. In particular, health authorities at all levels of government have been adapting Canada's well-established and tested pandemic influenza preparedness plan to address the specific challenges of a COVID-19 outbreak. While we recognize that COVID-19 and influenza are different entities and they're distinct respiratory infections, there are enough similarities for this plan to provide us with a solid foundation and an advanced starting point for a comprehensive response. At the federal level, the Government of Canada is exercising a leadership role and working closely with provinces and territories to facilitate their plans for Canada-wide readiness and response. Our work includes issuing national guidance on public health measures, schools and childcare, clinical management and self-isolation, and caring for others in the home. We assist with bulk procurement of essential supplies and help provinces and territories address their needs. We conduct national disease surveillance to monitor and inform the response. And our National Microbiology Laboratory provides key support for laboratory diagnostics and capacity. And we support and undertake research to advance science, improve diagnostics, and develop therapeutics. Let me conclude by saying that it is natural to be concerned about what COVID-19 might mean for you and your family's health. This is a concern that public health authorities across Canada are taking very seriously, and government at all levels are engaged in the response and actively planning and adapting to meet the challenges of this evolving situation. There are things that everyone can do to protect their health, delay spread of COVID-19, and minimize the overall impact across our communities. Simple everyday hygienic measures Practice well and maintain it at all times. Can and do have an impact. Wash your hands well and often. Cover your coughs and sneezes. And stay at home if you're sick to prevent the spread of illness. Thank you.
5: Merci, Dr. Tam, and bon après midi à tous. Je vais commencer par faire le bilan des cas signalés au Canada. Just maintenant, nous avons eu 33 cas confirmés de COVID-19 à l'échelle du pays soit 20 en Ontario, 12 en Colombie-Britannique et 1 au Québec. Tous les cas sont liés à des voyageurs qui sont allés en Chine, en Iran, en Égypte ou à des ou à des personnes qui ont eu des contacts étroits avec eux. Cela étant, n'oublions pas que la situation évolue rapidement et que les autorités sanitaires des provinces et des territoires continuent d'évaluer l'état de santé des personnes soupçonnées d'être infectées. Ce que veut dire que ces chiffres peuvent changer continuellement. À l'échelle internationale, la situation évolue rapidement puisque des cas sont maintenant signalés dans environ 80 pays. L'Organisation mondiale de la santé fait circuler le message suivant les actions que les pays entreprennent aujourd'hui feront la différence entre un petit nombre de cas et un grand. À l'heure actuelle. Rien ne prouve qu'il y a transmission communautaire du virus au Canada, étant donné que tous les cas sont liés directement ou indirectement à des voyages. Il reste que, même si nous continuons euh, d'axer nos efforts sur le confinement afin de retarder le début de la propagation communautaire, nous travaillons activement pour que tous les systèmes de, sa- de, système de santé soient prêts. L'Agence de la santé publique du Canada continue de collaborer de très près avec les provinces et te- les territoires pour veiller à ce que l'approche adaptée soit cohérente, axée sur la collaboration et fondée sur les meilleures données probantes connues. Plus précisément, les autorités sanitaires de tous les ordres de gouvernement sont en train d'adapter le plan canadien de préparation à une pandémie de grippe qui est bien établie et éprouvée. Pretenir compte des défis uniques qui présentent une éclosion de Covid-19. Bien que nous sachions que la Covid-19 et la grippe sont des infections respiratoires différentes et distinctes, il y a assez de similitudes entre les deux pour que ce plan serve de fondement solide et de point de départ avancé pour une intervention globale. Au niveau fédéral, le gouvernement du Canada dans l'exemple et collabore étroitement avec les provinces et les territoires pour les aider à élaborer leurs plans de préparation et d'intervention à l'échelle du pays. Notre travail comprend notamment la diffusion des lignes directrices nationales relatives aux mesures de santé publique, aux écoles et aux services de garde d'enfants, à la gestion clinique ainsi qu'à l'isolement des personnes à la maison et aux soins offerts aux autres membres de leur ménage. Nous facilitons l'approvisionnement En grande quantité de fournitures essentielles et aidant les provinces et les territoires à combler leurs besoins. Nous effectuons une surveillance de la maladie à l'échelle nationale pour observer et orienter l'intervention. Notre laboratoire national de microbiologie offre un soutien essentiel en matière de diagnostic et de capacité de laboratoire. Et nous soutenons et réalisons des études pour faire progresser la science améliorer les diagnostics et mettre au point des traitements. En guise de conclusion, je dirais qu'il est tout à fait normal d'être inquiet face aux répercussions que la COVID-19 pourrait avoir sur votre santé et celle des membres de votre famille. Les autorités de santé publique de tout le pays prennent ces, préoccupa- pré- ces préoccupations très au sérieux. Tous les ordres de gouvernement participent à l'intervention et travaillent activement Pour se préparer ainsi que pour s'adapter aux défis de cette situation en évolution. Nous avons tous un rôle à jouer pour protéger notre santé, retarder la propagation de la COVID-19 et réduire au maximum les ré- les répercussions globales sur nos communautés. Des mesures d'hygiène quotidiennes simples, bien exécutées et constamment respectées, ne sont pas sans effet. Lavez-vous les mains souvent. And comme il faut, to et éternuer dans le creux de votre coude et rester à la maison si vous êtes malade afin de prévenir la propagation de la maladie. Merci.
4: Merci uh, c'est le des questions. Time for questions. Be one question, one follow-up. There are two gentlemen who will hand you a mic uh, so that the interpreters will be able to hear the uh, the question as well as the answer. Uh, first question goes to Joyce Napier, CTV. Uh, good afternoon, ministers and doctors. Um, we've spoken to a number of health professionals who do have some serious concerns. There is a shortage of beds in Canada. The health care system, as good as it is, is stretched thin. If there is an outbreak in Canada, are you confident that the health care system will be able to handle it?
2: Well, I'll start and I'll turn to Dr. Tam because Dr. Tam has been working very closely with the healthcare sector as well as her uh, provincial and territorial partners as public health officers. Um, this is the work that is underway right now is to ascertain with provinces and territories what they anticipate their needs would be should they see a community outbreak and in fact part of the effort that we're making right now to uh, contain and delay any kind of community outbreak is really to allow the health care system to get through what we are seeing as a significant influenza season. Uh, if we can delay obviously community transmission to beyond the normal typical clue season then we can actually provide some slack in the healthcare care system to address things like shortages of beds and and you know the burden on healthcare systems that oftentimes flu season um, exa- exacerbates. Uh, in terms of uh, equipment that I know hospitals have talked about that is one of the roles that the federal government can play and is an actively investigating and preparing for right now. Things like ensuring that we have adequate personal protective equipment for frontline workers and additional ventilators should people get to the point where they need uh, to be uh, you know intensively cared for if they have have a severe expression of the illness. So I'll turn to Dr. Tam. Maybe you want to provide
4: a few extra words about that work. Well, I think, Minister, you provided quite a comprehensive answer, um, only to say that everyone actually has a role to play. So um, I think part of this is that don't show up in the emergency room um, when you are sick uh, with COVID-19 symptoms. Call ahead and make sure that you're not negatively impacting those uh, health um, care facilities. And some uh, patients, in fact, a vast majority of people with COVID-19 have milder symptoms. And uh, such patients can be cared for in the community while uh, reserving, of course, um, very scarce resources potentially for those who really need it. So I think everybody can sort of play the role in helping the health system. But having said that, every jurisdiction. Every province is uh, looking at all of their pandemic planning assumptions. They're looking at what kind of uh, requirements they may have in terms of bed beds, but they are going to have to coordinate uh, what's going on in the hospitals in terms of, for example, they may need to uh, make decisions about postponing elective surgeries. And there's a whole number of things that hospitals uh, have already uh, planned for before, and we'll be sort of looking at it uh, with a fresh eye as we understand the science of this virus uh, a little bit more. But certainly uh, protecting the health system, protecting, I would say, long-term care facilities too is very important with this particular virus.
3: Yeah, and I just want to pick up on something Dr. Tam has said. You know, we are very mindful that this is really about strong and close cooperation between the provinces and the federal government. As I said, Minister Haidu has been working very closely with her provincial counterparts. I have been, and the Prime Minister has been, in touch with Premiers. We are very mindful of the fact that this is going to be an issue where, when it comes to our health care, we have to work effectively together. We're doing that. It is a very good thing that we have a first minister's meeting next week. And the federal government very much understands our responsibility to provide leadership and coordination, and that's what we're doing. And I really want to say, The cooperation with the provinces has been terrific. The provinces are very focused on this. They're really stepping up. I don't know if Patty wants to say anything about the provincial health ministers. Mm.
2: Well, just that we have a weekly meeting as well as the many technical meetings that are happening uh, under Dr. Tam's leadership, which are more frequently than weekly, but the political uh, ministers of health are meeting weekly as well so that we fully understand um, what the requests are and what the needs are as they emerge from our technical uh, advice advisors, and professionals.
4: And Dr. Time, you you talk about a certain behavior, wash your hands, cough in your elbow. Yesterday, the BC uh, health official spoke of human contact and of lessening that. Do you suggest that that is also something to do to prevent the spread of COVID-19? Well, we do know that this virus is spread by these droplets coming out of people's noses and throats if you're coughing or sneezing um, and if it's on your hands for example or on surfaces so certainly there's been suggestions that if there's illness in your community reducing the amount of touching between people is one method Um, so there's been a number of ideas in different communities as how you actually reduce that so I think you're hearing some of these ideas from different communities as well Um, you know instead of handshaking you do, you know, elbow bumps, or you um, do greetings a little bit further a- a- a apart from each other. So, so these are just some of the ideas. I think Canadians do have those ideas. They know um, how to. They can personally reduce uh, those kind of contacts. But, but the most important thing is to stay home if you're sick and not not uh, spread your germs with uh, amongst other people. Okay, Matthew Goye, Radio Canada.
0: Bonjour, Mme Freeland. D'un
2: point de vue plus économique, euh, êtes-vous prête à mettre en place des mesures pour aider les entreprises qui, qui pourraient subir des contre-coups de, de cette épidémie de coronavirus euh, durant la crise? Si oui, euh, quand et comment?
3: Euh, c'est une très bonne question. Euh, et on comprend que... On a déjà vu les effets assez forts au niveau de l'économie globale et on a commencé à voir les effets ici au Canada. Uh, c'est une des raisons pour lesquelles uh, le Premier ministre a organisé notre comité uh, des ministres. Uh, une des priorités pour le comité, c'est de suivre uh, très, très proche les effets économique, ce qui se passe au niveau économique et d'être prête à réagir. Et je veux encore une fois citer Bill Morneau, notre ministre des Finances, qui a assuré les Canadiens cette semaine que le Canada a la capacité fiscale à réagir.
2: Parlant justement de capacité fiscale à réagir, est-ce que ce sera inclus dans les calculs du budget? Est-ce que ça fait partie des des facteurs qui seront évalués dans, alors qu'on est en train de confectionner le budget, finalement.
3: On est maintenant euh, en train de euh, faire une euh, analyse euh, très, très exacte de ce qui se passe au Canada euh, et aussi dans l'économie globale. Comme tout le monde comprend, c'est une situation en évolution. Uh, mais je veux vraiment assurer les Canadiens que le ministre des Finances, tous les ministres avec les dossiers économiques uh, et moi en tant que président de ce comité et de vice-premier ministre et évidemment le premier ministre, uh, nous comprenons que c'est un aspect très important d'un pays du coronavirus. And uh, on va réagir quand ce sera nécessaire. David Cochran, CBC.
6: Hi, uh, Deputy Prime Minister. You, I, we understand the government is ready to help the economy on a macro level, but on, on the much lower level, for example, hourly wage workers who may not have sick leave, may not have a lot of savings. If they get sick with this or are forced into self-isolation because of contact, for the greater community good. What, what can you tell us about what specific measures the government is considering to help people sort of at that level of the economic ladder who are financially vulnerable?
3: Excellent question. And we are not here today to announce any economic measures. Uh, we are here today to assure Canadians that the government is very aware of the broad economic and I would even say potentially social impact uh, of coronavirus. And that's one reason that the prime minister has convened this cabinet committee to be looking very closely at what that impact may be. And you're quite right that there is potentially the macroeconomic impact, but there are also sort of small microeconomic impacts uh, on people's personal lives. So we are looking at all of that. Uh, This is a situation which is evolving, but the government absolutely is analyzing very carefully what is the situation today. We are looking carefully ahead at how it is and may evolve, and we will be ready to act when it's necessary.
6: Uh, Minister, It might be a question for Minister Haidu or Dr. Tam, I'm not sure. In terms of travel screening, um, we didn't know Iran was going to be a big problem here until Iran was a big problem here, and and, uh, there have been some calls to extend screening to all international passengers, for example. Uh, Considering that almost all of the cases are travel-related as the primary cause or at least the contact with them, at what point do you consider broadening and expanding the screening of international travelers coming into all Canadian airports.
2: Well, thanks, David. That's an uh, excellent question, one that a lot of Canadians are asking. Um, certainly, we do have information available now for all international travelers as they come back or come into Canada about, uh, first of all, to monitor them their symptoms and what they can do if they are feeling unwell or unsure, uh, connecting them to local public health or provincial public health authorities so they have a, co- a point of contact. But I think, although it seems counterintuitive, in fact, the more countries that have outbreaks, the less relevant borders become a virus knows no borders right now we've applied new measures to iran simply because it became very clear that iran was dealing with an outbreak that even they didn't know they had um and which resulted in a wide community transmission in iran which was obviously driving new cases globally but as outbreaks continue in countries to expand and to to grow in fact it becomes more of an issue around using those resource for s- resources to uh, contain domestic spread. So you can imagine that if, in fact, we have our own community outbreak um, and we uh, are unable to contain transmission, that, in fact, uh, that is a situation of, of, of greater concern and, uh, you know, one that we would have to uh, really, re- re- you know, redeploy resources to, to address. So you know, th- this is a delicate balance, and I know Dr. Tam struggles with this as well on a day-to-day basis about where it is that you decide that global containment, meaning border measures, is no longer really relevant. And I'll turn to Dr. Tam to give you a little bit of the sort of medical assessment on those decisions.
4: Well, um, you know, I, I agree um, You know, with what the minister has said is that there's now so many countries with this virus, that it now becomes a broader piece of public awareness and uh, behavioral change as well. Um, the border is never a specific spot where you pick up cases or diagnose cases. It is the spot where you provide people inf- information as to what they should be watching out for and what should they, they should do if they get sick. Particularly a number that they can call if they are concerned, um, because people, this virus, um, as many of you already know, um, you know, has an incubation period of 14 days. People come in where they're not sick; e- they may not even know that there is a virus going um, in their country. Such as you know, travellers in Iran several weeks ago would have never known that they would have been in contact with anything. So our advice is that all travelers who uh, have been on international travel and they're concerned about COVID-19 either because they've heard about um, what's going on and where they came from, uh, we're watching their symptoms very closely because the moment you get sick you should isolate yourself and call ahead to the health line and to uh, alert health authorities. This has worked really quite well because remember we detected the first case from Iran and then from Egypt before Egypt is really reporting many cases. So, so we believe that uh, travelers and Canadians are quite sensitized. So they're presenting to the health system in a very appropriate way, uh, being fully alerted. Uh, it's also a balance for the health system. We just t- talked about impact to the health system. There has to be some guidance into how you triage patients going through the health system. The border actually is a great place to tell them which phone numbers to call to call ahead so that your emergency rooms or your clinics are not inundated, should you not be required uh, to show up as well. OK. Catherine Levesque, Presque
1: canadienne. Merci beaucoup. Euh, mes questions, en fait, sont pour Mme Freeland. Euh, tout d'abord, donc, vous avez eu votre première rencontre aujourd'hui avec le comité spécial. Je me demandais, qu'est-ce que vous avez... À, bien, premièrement, avez-vous pris des décisions à cette, à cette rencontre-là et qu'est-ce qui, qu'est-ce qui s'est passé concrètement lors de cette rencontre
3: uh, merci pour la question. Uh, on a, pendant cette rencontre, on a uh, commencé avec une mise à jour de la ministre Haidu et du docteur Tam. Uh, et uh, je veux souligner que on a eu déjà au niveau du cabinet entre des groupes de ministres beaucoup, beaucoup, beaucoup des discussions sur ce sujet. Ce n'est pas la première fois qu'on l'a discuté. Euh, mais la chose que je pense était importante, c'est que on a eu la discussion avec euh, la ministre Haidu et les ministres avec les dossiers, surtout économiques, euh, Monsieur le ministre Blair était euh, sur la ligne aussi. Et nous pensons que maintenant, euh, nous sommes dans une étape quand c'est nécessaire d'avoir un plus haut niveau de coordination au niveau du gouvernement entier. On a discuté la situation uh, du côté du santé publique et on a aussi discuté tous les enjeux économiques qui étaient déjà soulevés uh, par vous les journalistes on a aussi discuté le côté de coopération provinciale fédérale uh, c'est seulement la première rencontre uh, notre comité va eu un uh, itinéraire uh, des réunions À très suivante, euh, je vais parler avec le Premier ministre et lui informer de ce qu'on a décidé. On prend la situation au sérieux. Et je veux aujourd'hui, nous voulons aujourd'hui, assurer les Canadiens que ils peuvent avoir la confiance dans le leadership fédéral au sous-dossier, que nous avons une coordination Dans tout le gouvernement fédéral, nous avons le, le coordination avec nos homologues provinciaux et avec nos homologues internationaux. Donc des discussions des, des... à ajouts sur les, les impacts économiques,
1: mais concrètement, à quoi peut-on s'attendre lors des prochaines rencontres Quelle sorte de décisions pourriez-vous prendre Peut-on parler de compensation, par exemple
3: Une à des raisons à uh, pour euh, organiser le comité, c'est vraiment pour nous permettre de prendre les décisions plus vite. Euh, pour la première réunion, je pense que ce n'est pas le moment de prendre des décisions, mais euh, le fait que nous avons maintenant une comité du cabinet avec un groupe de ministres nous donnera la possibilité de prendre les décisions vite, parce que comme nous avons déjà écouté uh, de Dr. Tam, de la ministre Haidu, c'est une situation au niveau de santé qui a une évolution qui n'est pas complètement possible de prévenir. Alors nous sommes prêtes maintenant à réagir si vite que sera nécessaire.
4: Okay, we're starting to run out of time here. Uh, Christy Kirkup, Globe Mail.
2: Thank you good afternoon uh, my question is for the deputy prime minister uh, business groups are seeking a formal role similar to that that was created with the nafta uh, advisory council uh, specifically to deal with the government's approach to coronavirus and the economic impacts uh, just wondering um, you know if this is something that you're looking at we understand you've been speaking to business leaders about a team canada approach so what does that mean and are you looking for a formal role with uh, outside experts on this
3: Um, That is a great question. And I have been, as have other ministers, uh, very actively talking to business groups, to business leaders. Just over the past few days, I've been having meetings with bank leaders, with leaders of some of our leading business organizations. I spoke to Perrin Beattie this morning. uh, And I know that my cabinet colleagues have been doing the same thing. And we heard at our cabinet committee meeting about all of the very active meetings and conversations ministers have been having. In terms of a formal engagement of business, labor, civil society organizations and so forth, that's something uh, that we are going to be talking about in the coming days. I do think, though, that the important thing to underscore is that this really does need to be a whole-of-country response. Uh, this is a situation which, of course, is a public health situation. It's a situation which has economic consequences, which has international relations consequences. And I think all of us are, first of all, going to need to take some personal responsibility. Dr. Tam has offered some very clear and specific things each one of us should be doing. And we're all going to have to be coordinating very closely. That is something we have already been doing. And it's something that I think we are going to continue to to do in a really stepped up way.
0: Hello again I'm Peter Van Dusen and we've been listening to a news conference today with federal cabinet ministers and health officials overseeing Canada's response to the outbreak of COVID-19 evolving rapidly around the world. The Bank of Canada moved today to try to limit the economic impact of the outbreak on the Canadian economy. The central bank cut its key interest rate by 50 basis points in response to the material shock to the economy from the COVID-19 outbreak. The rate moves from 1.75% to 1.25%. Now, it's uh, twice the size of the cut that most experts had been predicting. The move, simply put, makes borrowing money less expensive. So, the bank's trying to boost consumer confidence as the economic forecast worsens because of the virus and other economic shocks. Don Desjardins is the Deputy Chief Economist for the Royal Bank of Canada. She joins me from Toronto. Uh, Don Desjardins, first of all, thanks for taking time to speak with me today. I appreciate it.
7: Oh, it's a pleasure, Peter. Thanks for having me on.
0: Why has the Bank of Canada decided to make this interest rate cut and not just a cut by, uh, uh, not just a a, a cut, but twice as big as most people had expected?
7: Well, I think they are looking at the outlook for our economy. You know, we kind of limped out of 2019. Uh, We've had lots of transitory factors that is keeping our economy grow at a a pretty slow pace. And now we layer on the coronavirus, and that has some negative implications for the outlook. So I think the bank just really wanted to be aggressive uh, to make uh, the interest rates move lower, trying to really ease up financial conditions uh, and really give confidence to households and businesses.
0: Okay. The, the, The bank rate cut in this country comes less than 24 hours after the U.S. Federal Reserve cut. In the u.s and it cut its key rate by uh, half a percentage point as well did the bank of canada have any choice but to follow that lead
7: well i wouldn't say they had to do the 50 basis points uh, certainly when we thought about it we said you know they're probably going to lower the rate by a quarter um, because we thought that would really be a signal that they're working to mitigate these downside risks to the economy and we thought they'd follow that up with another 25 basis point rate reduction in April and that really aimed at uh, steering a course towards stronger economic activity as we go forward so these transitory impacts whether it's from the rail blockades, poor weather, commodity price declines, all of those things really looking to have that 50 basis points over two meetings. So I don't think it forced the hand of the Bank of Canada, I think it just stressed that they are very willing to do what is needed to get our economy back on track.
0: What effect is the bank hoping the rate cut will have?
7: Well, they're hoping uh, that that will reduce boring costs, which it will uh, for households and businesses. And I think they're also wanting to ensure that they're they're feeling good um, about the outlook, believing that we will get through these transitory factors that are weighing on the pace of economic growth. So I think their main goal here was to lower interest rates reduce as uh, some of the tightening we've seen in financial conditions as equity prices fell as corporate interest rate spreads widened and so they're working to to mitigate the impact that that's going to have on the economy and again it pretty much a confidence move i would say for households and businesses
0: right i guess a, a part of me is wondering how likely is a big boost in economic activity and confidence if if the virus spreads and people maybe don't want to travel or spend on activities that may be limited because of concerns about about the virus Um, You know, are there still lots of unknowns here?
7: Absolutely, and I think that's part of the the story as well. I mean, the bank is also uh, committed to ensuring liquidity within our financial system. So certainly they want people to know that regardless of what kind of outcome this has for our economy, what that impact is, that we will still have a functioning financial system. We will still have low interest rates that will support some of their spending decisions. And also, we know that monetary policy changes affect the economy with a lag. So perhaps we're not going to see any immediate reaction in terms of the economy, but it really is aimed at supporting growth further down the road. And
0: in terms of consumer confidence, is, is there any concern at all about Uh, about the opposite happening that you see a a bank make a fairly significant cut of 50 basis points does that send as much as it's designed to have people spend more could it have the opposite effect people say that and say just a minute that sends a bit of a shiver through the economy of saying if the bank's taking that kind of action I'm going to hunker down because that makes me more worried
7: Well, certainly that is the risk, but I think what the bank is trying to lay the groundwork for is to say that, you know, we don't know any more than anyone else in terms of the true magnitude of the hit to the economy from this virus. But we do know that if we keep policy accommodative, that will underpin economic activity so at the margin for the here and now maybe it doesn't do a heck of a lot but it again sowing the seeds for future growth once we get through uh, this period of very high levels of uncertainty.
0: If the bank is sending this kind of of signal about its uh, concerns for the economy and it's and let to be fair it's not just pointing to COVID-19 but also to rail blockades job actions Mm -hmm. by teachers in Ontario uh, the lack of any big positive effects so far from the resolution of trade disputes with the U.S. and China. There are a number of, of negative effects dragging on the economy. Is, is there also a message in all of that from the bank about the need perhaps for some sort of stimulus spending or tax relief from governments to, to help lift the economy as we get ready here for a federal budget in the next couple of weeks?
7: Well, no, I wouldn't necessarily say the bank is, is advocating for anything, but I think they are, you know, they wouldn't put anything in their forecast, for example, that isn't already announced by the government. But I think it does open the door, just as a, a general statement, uh, to the government also putting in some fiscal stimulus, again, trying to lean against these downside risks to the economy, getting money in the hands of people with the idea that they will spend it and that will prevent uh, the economy slumping even further than we think it's already going to.
5: All right,
0: let's finish on this. Should we expect more uh, central bank rate cuts to come?
7: Yeah, we do think the Bank of Canada will lower the rate again in April as all of the factors you cited, whether they're transitory or they've taken some uh, economic activity out of the economy, we think that does open the door to the bank wanting to get policy a little more accommodative. So we do think they're going to get that policy rate down by another 25 basis points when they meet in April.
0: All right. Don Desjardins, the Deputy Chief Economist for the Royal Bank of Canada. Uh, Good to get your perspective today. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. The former Premier of Alberta is weighing in on the concerns about Western alienation and the threats of separation in Alberta. Rachel Notley is, of course, still the leader of the official opposition in Alberta, the NDP, and says she'll make another run for the Premier's job in the next provincial election. Rachel Notley joins me now. Good to see you. Good to be here. Thanks for coming to speak with me. Uh, You made a speech at Carleton University in Ottawa last night got it here read it uh the title was the perfect storm <laughs> simultaneously addressing the goals of supporting alberta oil and gas industry and in combating climate change in an age of economic slowdown political polarization and indigenous reconciliation so let's start there uh that would give that title alone <laughs> would give a lot of people ample reason for pessimism about the state of the nation but not you why not
1: well, I mean, I, I I do think that 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 as a nation, uh, we have what it takes to to navigate these really tough waters, but. But uh, I think that we have to be working very hard to, to listen to each other, to hear each other, um, and understand that there's tremendous levels of compl- complexity and that there are very different perspectives uh, from uh, in, in different parts of the country. Um, and, and that, uh, you know, we're, we're just gonna have to work through it. And, and what we have to do is go from that initial saying that initial position of saying, here's what I think no, you're wrong, here's what I think, and and move past it to, okay, so great, uh, but what's the solution yeah. here? Um, but,
0: but with respect, yeah. I mean, yeah. l- politicians have been saying that for a long time about, well, mm-hmm. maybe not that long of a time, because yeah. it seems to me... Uh, having followed this for a long time, we're, we're at kind of a different place than where we've been in the last number of years with with the sort of mm-hmm. intransigence difficulty moving forward. We have the prime minister calling for consensus. We have a lot of people calling for consensus and we need to hear each other and yet nobody seems to want mm-hmm. to abandon the positions mm-hmm. they hold. And I, how big of a challenge is that?
1: Well it is a challenge because I do think uh, mm-hmm. that 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 we've got, A a number of different things that are all coming together at the same time and and so that is difficult and you know speaking from the perspective of an Albertan I mean we we really do have a a generational restructuring of of the oil and gas industry which is the single biggest driver of economic activity uh, in uh, Alberta and quite frankly uh, uh, large swaths of the whole country and and this is not a short-term thing this is a major restructure and so it's creating uncertainty and fear and anxiety and so this is a huge thing and then to try and deal with that at the same time that we're trying to deal with the very real challenges that that, uh, the international investment community is demanding that we address with respect to climate change and this overlay of uh, of uh, the of indigenous mm-hmm. reconciliation i mean these are these these are all these each one of these could be a generational sure. challenge and they're all coming together at the same time let's drill down yeah. on
0: some of it unemployment in alberta now running at about 7% 50,000 full-time jobs uh, lost since last june
5: mm-hmm.
0: um the the premier jason kenney largely is, i can say is blaming the policies of the federal government mm-hmm. and uh, and inaction on things such as you know rail blockades for scaring away investors and let me hear you, you touched on it but let me hear more from you on that a bit. why you think big energy projects such as tech mm-hmm. frontier uh, mm-hmm. are deciding to pull the plug.
1: Well because again what we have is a generational issue with respect to the need to take meaningful action to combat climate change and uh, that is a that's a big big um, uh, challenge and it requires a whole bunch of uh, policy heavy lifting and in my view we were on the path to to getting that work done it wasn't perfect we hadn't uh, finished all the work but we had we had put in place a framework uh, and by we i mean our government Mm -hmm. in alberta um, and and we were tying into what was happening across the rest of the country and we were on the way to creating the kind of certainty that uh, international investors needed, including key investors in the oil and gas industry, who were quite frankly at the table in 2015 with our government when we first developed the climate leadership plan. You know, then, uh, uh, you know, Jason Kenney decided to make that a political issue. And the first thing he did after he got elected was he ripped it up. And that has created a great deal of more uncertainty and that doesn't negate uh some of the points quite frankly that Jason Kenney and even I made when I was premier about the other levels of uncertainty that that exists for instance in terms of how do you navigate the construction of of a pipeline while we are also dealing uh with the the evolving uh status of of indigenous rights how do we how do we do that um so but but to simplify it the way jason Kenney is doing to to demonize the federal government to say that's the only reason why we can't get this done i mean that's it's just not uh we're not going to get to solutions if we can continue to identify uh simplistic answers to complicated
4: problems
0: and you make the case that you make the case that um people had better put Pay closer attention to what's actually happening in the marketplace. Uh, mm-hmm. It's no longer just a—it's it, no longer a political battle about developing resources and governments versus governments. Um, and I guess it, it circles us back to the the conversation around the need for uh, you know. Uh, a a proper climate change Mm -hmm. framework that industry can look at and everybody can buy into and accept Mm -hmm. and that's this this idea that look the investors are walking away from it the investors are saying I I can't get certainty and maybe there's uh, there's questions around value and so on Mm -hmm. but uh, do you think that is that Part of the piece is still being ignored to a certain extent in Alberta. That look at what industry is saying and doing, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. opposed to what politicians are saying and doing.
1: Right, uh, absolutely, because you know, I mean, you even see the saw the uh, the head of the Calgary Chamber of Commerce essentially uh, replicating the the advice and the call that we saw from the CEO of Tech, uh, saying, "Listen, like let's get it together. Let's stop demonizing." Uh, folks who argue that we need to to take real action on climate change and let's sit down and find a a framework that that we can all uh, agree is is uh, is something that we can work within within and 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 so what's happened is the argument you know the the work had sort of moved three steps down the path and then uh, and maybe we still have another two but meanwhile what's happened is Jason Kenney's pulled us right back to the very beginning of that path and so we're wasting time, is the is the key issue, and that's the message that's being delivered. Whether it's you know BlackRock Investments, whether it's whether it's the CEO of Tech, whether it's Mark Carney, whether it's you know the Calgary Chamber of Commerce. I mean, they're all delivering that message, and now we're scrambling to play catch up.
0: Let's talk about the anger in Alberta and the threats of separation. Um, it's an anger based in, and you talked about some of this in your speech last night, mm-hmm. an anger based in the this feeling of ne- neglect uh, mm-hmm. by the rest of Canada, based on the fact that Alberta's fiscal contributions to the Federation far outweigh uh, and, any other provinces, and yet Albertans mm-hmm. feel that they're being shortchanged mm-hmm. in, in the way they're treated. Uh, do you believe that anger is justified, and, and in fact, do you share it?
1: Mm-hmm. I certainly don't share any kind of anger that would ever lead me to ever, ever, ever suggest that separation is a thing that we should be talking about. Uh, Sometimes there is frustration, but I think what we're really seeing um, in Alberta and and what's driving this the most is is the genuine fear and uncertainty that comes from what I described before, which is the restructuring of our oil and gas industry, and a lot of folks wondering if they're ever going to have the kind of economic security that they... Once, once had, once yeah. had, and have grown used to, and and so that you know that makes people fearful. It makes them fearful for their kids. It makes them fearful for their retirement. It makes them fearful for you know next week. And 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 when you're in that headspace, anger is a natural r- result. Um, and uh, and and then you know there's there's layers on top of it. You know, uh, do Albertans see the rest of the country as as uh, fully understanding what's going on? in Alberta and or understand what it actually means for the rest of the country as well. And this is a point that I've always tried to make that frankly the rest of the country needs Alberta to do well for the rest of the country to do well. Right. But nonetheless, so there there is anger and then and and yes there is frustration with how the Federation has has uh uh failed to move quickly enough in terms of supporting Alberta's desires to uh, take a path that will get us to, to more um, prosperity, but honestly, that's not the only piece. What's happening, though, is that it has been amplified. Uh, I would say um, well beyond uh, what it needs to be, and and then so we've created, or not we, but the current government has created this very very um, uh, divisive, polarized east west thing, which um, again uh, ignores. All the issues it it, it so, focuses on one and ignores all this, and, and many as you the know for,
0: for alberta conservative mps have put out the buffalo declaration right. which talks about this unity crisis and the lack of respect for alberta and mm-hmm. economic inequality and uh talking about the possibility of Alberta seeking independence so you don't support that declaration no. obviously but why isn't that uh, why do you think that's not a legitimate tool or at least not a healthy tool if that's if that if if that process were to move forward and Albertans mm-hmm. were to were to sign on with that, wouldn't that be a reflection of how Bert, how Albertans really feel?
1: Well, because I, I think. Albertans, the majority of Albertans are much smarter than the authors of the Buffalo Declaration, and they understand that the economic uncertainty that that kind of discussion creates, the the loss of certainty around their pension rights, that those kinds of things would create, the extra costs associated with having our own police force, and the the ridiculous notion that somehow we're going to get more access to to uh, um, new markets by uh, negotiating with with uh, jurisdictions that we're now not part of the same you know they aren't part of the same country that we're in i mean all of that makes very little sense and and uh um you know and some people say oh no this is just part of a, a very elaborate uh, game of poker with the, the federal government come on i mean that that's just childish and and it's silly and and uh and that that particular argument um albertans want Alberta or Ottawa to to come to the table with us absolutely, but this idea some of the ideas that are in this this Buffalo Declaration and the the, uh, Things that they're they're pushing like the CPP like you know collecting our own taxes all these things These these things were considered and rejected two decades ago as being um, costly or undoable and and this idea that we're going to somehow go in and rewrite the Constitution and rewrite and eliminate Equalization I mean also like let's talk about practical solutions deliverable solutions not uh, okay. talking points let's
0: talk about that so let's mm-hmm. finish on this uh, really? we got a federal budget coming up yes, exactly. shortly so that's an opportunity one would think for the federal mm-hmm. government to demonstrate uh, to put some some action behind the words we've heard that they feel Alberta's pain, we, Alberta, we got your back. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does that look like in a budget? Then what do you need to see in a budget?
1: Right. Well, you know, honestly, the 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 call for um, a, a, a redo on the fiscal stabilization fund is not something that originated with the Jason Kenney's government. We made the same call. Um, you know, when Jason Kenney and Stephen Harper were running the federal government, they didn't change the cap on the fiscal stabilization fund, and the last. Last time the matter came up neither did uh, the Trudeau government and I think that this is a time where that needs to be reconsidered and so uh, we'd certainly like to see uh, more uh, uh, more support through the through a, a, a revision of the fiscal stabilization fund and, and certainly going back um, so that's one thing. I mean, you know, I think there's other things that can be done, more infrastructure investment, uh, more support in terms of job creation, uh, capital investment to to help us through the, the current struggle that we're with. And we all know that, that uh, some of the, the most immediate things that we're dealing with in Alberta now will, or across the country, mm. will uh, negatively impact Alberta even more. Um, so we, we certainly need that recognition in the budget, and I certainly hope that we'll see it.
0: All right, Rachel Notley, uh, good to talk to you. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. And that is all for another edition of Primetime Politics on CPAC, the cable public affairs channel. I'm Peter Van Dusen in Ottawa. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time.